we are wrapping up our series, Greater Than. Uh, if you haven't been here, we're talking about, through the book of Hebrews, how Jesus is always greater than. And so today we'll be wrapping that up in Hebrews 12. You can go ahead and turn there and get a head start. Hebrews 12 will be at today. As you're turning there, and by the way, you can go there in the Parkway app. There's a full outline in there, or a YouTube version, or um, just paper Bible. That's what we'll be at most of today. Now, as you're turning there, have you ever heard some of these some-all statements of, of life that people will give? They'll say, life is like, and then fill in the blank. Now, as soon as I said that, you instantly thought of one from the great um, Western philosopher of our day, Forrest Gump, who so profoundly said, life is like, there you go, some of my favorites, uh, life is like a box of chocolates, and it reflected his entire story, didn't it? It reflected how all these wild and crazy things happened throughout his life. Um, very true, true, I agree with that. Or you'll hear it phrased another way. You'll hear people say there's two types of people in this world, um, and then they'll give their this the two categories, nobody can break free of these categories. Uh, the A-type personalities, uh, type A personalities, uh, there's two types of people in the world, the haves and the have-nots, Right? Or the great Rocky quote, which is one of my all-time favorites. There's two types of people in this world. Those who get knocked down and then those who get knocked down and get up and keep on fighting. I love, love that quote. Because it encapsulates Rocky, doesn't it? It reflects those stories. Now, here's where I'm going with that. If you were speaking, very Jesus was right in front of you. God was right in front of you. And he gave you one of those life is like this statements. What would it be? What would Jesus' statement, life is like this statement, because people give their all-encompassing statements what life is like, what would his be like? Specifically, what would his statement be, the Christian life well-lived is this. It's like this. And I say that because I think Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, actually gives us a beautiful image of how he would answer that. Check it out. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and that's referring to the previous chapter in 11, where it gives almost like the Old Testament Hall of Fame, um, how these great men and women of the Bible live by faith and is credited to them as righteousness. It's like they are looking on at us, cheering us on. It feeds into the analogy he's going to use. Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. God's answer to that, what is life like? What is life meant to be like a race? It's meant to be like a race. Some of you guys hear that, you're like, no, I don't like running. It's metaphorical, don't worry. Like, it's okay. It's, it's not, I'm not very good at it either. It's metaphorical, but it is a race. And that's such a different view than is so common uh, we don't oftentimes view it as that active, but no, God's analogy of what our life should be like is a race. There's a finish line, there's a goal, there is a prize to be won, there is a race to be won. Now here's what's brilliant, I think, about this analogy is this, everybody is running a race. Every single human on planet earth is running a race. The, the question is not, are you running a race or are you not? The question is, are you running the right one, and is it worthwhile? Everybody's running a race. Everybody has something they're pursuing after, and they are just running full steam ahead towards that finish line. Everybody is. 
I love the way Dave Ramsey phrased it. Mike used this before, but I love this quote so much. He summarized with a race that many people are running. The gold they're going to try and win is this. It's a great quote. He said about kind of Americans in general, he says, We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Ouch and true. <laughs> I must admit, we, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. And here's what's brilliant about that little statement is it encapsulates the race that many people are running. I'm going to get as much stuff as I can. If I get enough stuff, that's a great prize. I am running that race to get more stuff. I think the more common one is the back end of that to impress people. I think this is the easiest one to fall in. The race, the thing we're pursuing after the most is how many people can I get to like me in whatever means I can. I've run that race. I promise you, friends, it's not worth it. It's not a fun race to run. For others, it's just, I'm going to have as much fun as I can while I'm on planet Earth. Let's go. That's the race that they run. Whatever makes me the most happy, that's what I'm pursuing after. That one seems really tempting. But I promise you, when you get to the race, the end, it's not worth it. Because here's the qualification what makes a race a good race or a bad race. I mean, you're going like, all races are bad. Okay, metaphorically. Here's what makes a race a good race or a bad race. When you get to the finish line, was it worth it? That thing that you're pursuing after, that thing you're running the race for, when you get there, is it worth it? I would challenge you that all those things I just mentioned earlier, they're not worth it. But I want you to see the race that God is set out before, a specific race He asked for us to choose, it's the one that's worth it. It's the one that's actually worth it. Because here's what the race is. Here's the race. The race is not us going and trying to earn God's love. That's not what the race is. You see, the race is this. God first came after us. He first pursued us. (laughs) Jesus ran his race, lived the perfect life that we could not, so that he may die for us. We may have eternal life with him if we believe in him. Our motivation to run the race is that. Our motivation is God first pursued us, loved us, gave himself for us. He pursued us. So guess what the finish line is? Christ. It's to pursue after him. Our race is to run headlong as fast and as hard as we can towards Christ to be more like Him. But here's the goal as we get there. As we become more and more like Him, we become more and more like Christ. We're transformed. People notice a difference in us. As people notice a difference about you, they start asking questions. You have these, all these opportunities and these conversations to lead others to know Christ. Here's the goal. When you cross the finish line, you're no longer running alone. You are taking as many people with you across the finish line into eternity to know Christ and become more like Him. That's the race. That race, my friends, is worth it. That that race right there is worth running. That race, when you get to the finish line, you look back and say every single last step of it was worth it. We don't choose if we run a race or we don't run a race. The question is this, are you running the right race and are you running it well? That's the race that we are set out before us. That's the analogy that God gives. And it's a really, really good one. And so I challenge you to this. Ask yourself, and only you can answer this, which race are you running? This isn't talking about a career move. This isn't talking about anything like that. This is a life purpose race conversation. 
What race are you running today? Port Lavaca, Lone Tree, Victoria, everybody watching online, what race are you running? You have to be very, very honest with yourself. And here's the thing. If you say, I want to run the race that God set before me because I trust him, I want to dive into it and say, what does it look like to run that race well? Because we're not just meant to just casual jog it. This is a race. Let's look at what he says. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Let's look at that one more time. It says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great uh, cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. More on that later on. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That sounds like a pretty serious race, doesn't it? That doesn't sound like a casual race. I haven't run that many races. I ran a 5K this one time. I was down in the park, and it was what's called a color run 5K. Anybody ever done one of these before or seen these? Color run 5K. Here's what it is. You run your five kilometers, and I made the mistake first service said five miles. Five kilometers, 3.1 miles. Got it right this time. It shows you how many of those I run. Anyway, I was running this 5K in the park, and it's called a color run. What that means is as you run, people grab this powder out of these boxes and just throw it everywhere, and you make this massive mess, and you get to the end of the finish line, and it looks like you lost a paintball match terribly, and you make a mess, and it's fun. You keep the T-shirts all tie-dyed now. It's fun. I was running this race. I was running this color run 5K, and I was going to win it, all right? I was in it to win. I got up front. I am just booking it like it's 800 meters the first time. It's a straight-out sprint, which is the absolute wrong way to run a race. I'm not very good at it, but I was here to win, all right? I rounded the second turn, and it dawned on me, that's not this kind of race. You want to know why? Because I firmly believe an eight-year-old made up this race. Because when I turn the corner, there's lines of five, six, seven, eight-year-olds right there with these boxes full of color powder. And they have this biggest smile on their face because I'm about to run by them and they're just going to pick up this color powder and just throw it to try and nail me in the face. That is brilliant. Like, could you imagine being an eight-year-old going, ha, 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 it's my turn now, right? I was so serious about this race, and it wasn't that kind of race. It was, let's go have fun, we get a t-shirt, take a selfie afterwards, put it on Facebook, you know, whatever the cause was. It wasn't a super serious race. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, that sounds like a serious race, doesn't it? That sounds serious. Look what it says in verse 1. Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. What is it talking about there? It's talking about all the sin in your life. Get rid of it because it's slowing you down. The imagery is this. Think about this. If you're running a 5K today and you are out at the finish line, you would probably not have on what you have on right now, correct? Like you guys wore boots today. This is not what I would be having on running my race. You got like, ladies wore heels at the finish line. Like, Let's do this. Run this thing like a baby deer. You decide to like dress it up a little bit today, Crocs and socks, also would not wear those to a 5K. You would not have these things on running a 5K. Why? Because it hinders you. You throw off everything that hinders you and you run a race. 
here's the thing. The race that we have to run, the race that Christ put before us to pursue Him, lead others to know Him, it's a serious race. We throw off what hinders us. Sin hinders us. The casual sin that we just kind of accept (laughs) as acceptable, it hinders us. The sin that becomes an ingrained lifestyle habit to where it's almost a part of our weekly routine, that hinders you. Believers, if we just accept this sin into our lives and don't throw it off, it's like we're running our race with concrete shoes on. And it's time to throw them off because the race that you have is too important to run it with something hindering you. We don't just throw sin out of our lives because it's a nice thing to do. We throw sin out of our lives so we can be more like Christ and run the race as best we possibly can. That's the race. That's the goal. Look how else it describes it, the finish line. We're talking about this. What are the finish lines in your race? The finish line here is fixing our eyes on Jesus. You have this razor-sharp focus on the finish line. It's Christ. Not to earn His love, but as a response to His love. Not to earn eternity, because eternity was freely given to you when you believed. He pursued you. Now you are pursuing Him as fast as you can. Become more and more like Him and to lead as many as possible to know Him well into eternity. That's the race. That is a race that's worth living. That's the race. Now the question is this, how do we actually run it well? Because if it's a serious race, it's not some color run 5K, it's not just a participation trophy, because we do not believe in those in America. There's a race that we are setting out to run, and to run it well How do we actually run it well? Explains that in verse 4. It says this, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. (laughs) Once again, the language is very serious here, isn't it? You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What's it talking about there? It's talking about we're throwing off the sin that hinders us. We're removing the sinful habits that hinder us from running the race well. The question is this, How serious are you about it? How much passion do you have about throwing those sinful habits out of your life? Because when you're throwing those sinful habits out of your life, you're thinking about it, here's what's so easy to do. So easy to do. You say, you know what? I have a little bit of sin in my life, but it's not as much as this person. It's not as much as this relative, this family friend, this person you've known your entire life, or just some coworker you met last week. You can always... Find a way to justify sin in your life that's hindering you from running the race well by looking around you. But here's the thing. You never find a way to justify sin in your life when your example's Christ. Does the seriousness we have, is it matched by Christ's seriousness about us? Because here's how serious it was about us. The cross. <laughs> that's very, very serious. He came to earth... Left, each, the left his place with God the Father, came to the middle of nowhere, planet Earth, lived a sinless life, took all this opposition, died on the cross that we may have eternal life with him. That's a seriousness. Do we match that with the same amount of seriousness? We do have our example as Christ. Here's the thing. Christ is a perfect example. Other people aren't. Make Christ your actual example. And I think the second thing is this. We can easily... It's so easy to fall into this trap. I've done it myself. To believe 
that somehow this struggle of throwing sin out of your life and just the daily struggle of going through life and the trials and tribulations, it's too much. That's too much of opposition to actually live a holy life that honors God. Here's the thing you have to begin to believe in your life is that holiness is greater than the struggle. It's kind of fill in the blank for those who are doing this today. Holiness is greater than the struggle. Here's what I mean by that. The holiness of Christ that He gave to us through the cross is greater than your struggle. Think about this, believer. If you believed in Christ, your eternity has been changed. You've promised and you have been entrusting God with your eternity. He had the power to rise the dead from the grave. Do you not think He has the power to change your day-to-day habits? He does. The question is, do we have a confidence in it? Do we believe the holiness is greater than the struggle? Because here's the thing about a 5K. Here's the thing about running a race, running a marathon, a 10K, a half marathon. They're not very easy, are they? For some people, they are easy. I'm kind of bitter at you because I wish I was you. But for most of us, they're not easy, are they? But God's empowerment of us is greater than the struggle of running the race because running the race is not easy. Look where he goes next. I love the next point that's brought up in Hebrews 12. It says this, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because of the Lord's discipline, the one he loves, and he chastens everyone, he accepts as his son. What it's talking about there is as we run this race, sometimes God disciplines us. When we begin to mess up and stumble and go in the wrong direction, he disciplines us to redirect us on his path. Now, not everything that goes wrong in your life is discipline. Sometimes just we live in a broken world, but oftentimes it's God's discipline. The question is, how will you respond to God's discipline? When I read this text, it reminds me of when I was a kid, and I think everybody has a shared experience, okay? If you had a complete childhood, you heard this statement, and you had this mental response. You had your parents, and you'd done something wrong, and they were disciplining you, a.k.a. you were getting a whooping, all right? Maybe it's a switch. Maybe it's a belt. Maybe it's a belt you had to pick out. That was truly cruel. All right. Go pick out your belt. Which one do I pick? The skinny one? One that's wide, has holes in it. This is really hard. That was the hardest part, wasn't it? But they had this statement, didn't they? They had this statement, they would say. And everybody remembers this statement. (laughs) This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And every time I heard that statement, it took every fiber of my being not to respond back. I doubt that very much. I don't think that's the case. I'll gladly trade with you. You know what? This is mercy. Trade spots. All right. There we go. You get the less. I want you to be hurt because I did wrong. You know, I wanted to say that every single time. Luckily, I did not. Um, if you did, let me know how that went. I'm sure it's a great story. But here's the thing. I don't have kids, but the older I get, the more I understand that statement. I get that. It isn't pleasant, just as with our loving parents when they discipline us, it's not pleasant for them to do that. It's not pleasant for God to discipline us. But here's the thing. Discipline isn't pleasant for us. Discipline isn't pleasant for anybody, including the person being disciplined. But here's what's really tempting. 
no matter what our age is, it's very easy to respond to God's discipline like a child and resent it. It's easy to do. So easy to do. Why? Because it's not pleasant. It's easy to resent it, but we have to understand the why behind it. Look at the why in verse 10. It says, They disciplined us for a little while, referring to earthly parents, as they thought best. But God disciplines, the perfect loving Father disciplines for our good, in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. God's discipline is transforming. God's discipline redirects us onto the path we actually need to be on. It's for our own good. In fact, when God disciplines us, it shows His love for us. Because the people you care most about in your life, you'll tell them when they're actually doing wrong. That's the greatest love there is. To say, hey, this is going to destroy your life. You need to do something different. The person who will say that truly loves you. The person who will just sit back, watch you as you just destroy your life, that's an incomplete love. God's love is never incomplete. He disciplines us and corrects us. The question is this, how will we respond to it? Will we respond to the maturity that says, God, I thank you because you want me to run this race well. Running this race well is for my own good, and I thank you for that. That's not the easy response, but it's the right response. Now, look what it says in the last part. It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Discipline trains us. I don't think that's a word we, we quite use enough in the capital C global church of how we can be trained to run the race well. Going back to the race analogy, those who run races well, they don't just wake up, like put down the bag of Cheetos, turn off the TV. I want to run a marathon. <laughs> you can. I don't recommend it. Uh, it reminds me of another 5K that I ran. I haven't run very many of these, but I seem like I get a sermon analogy every time I run them, so I should probably do more. I was running uh, what was called the Chick-fil-A 5K that benefited Young Life, a local uh, outreach ministry to teenagers, love the ministry they do. So, you know what? I'm going to run this 5K. All right, it has a great benefit to it. And I was running this 5K. I was going my very best. I was trying. And it probably showed on my face. It looked like I was in pain because I was, okay? I was halfway through this marathon. Not marathon, it's a 5K. <laughs> Don't be that impressed. Halfway through this 5K, like a mile and a half or something. And, and I start noticing these people start passing me. All right, I'm trying my absolute best here. And I, out of the corner of my eye, I see this eight-year-old just go, <laughs> I said to my mind, that kid's getting drafted one day. Okay, that one's okay. Future Hall of Famer just passed me by. That's fine. And then at the corner of my eye, as soon as I thought that, I see this little tiny wheel start coming up to my right side. I'm like, what is that? It's attached to the front of a stroller. The stroller is beginning to pass me by. There's this mom with a stroller and a baby in it. I kid you not, it didn't bother me that the mom was passing me in the stroller. It was the three-year-old who peeked out and waved at me. As I was getting past, I was like, yeah, I quit now. All right, I'm... I'm jogging, walking the rest of this thing. I kid you not, three-year-old has a smile on, you know. 
And, you know, maybe she's a natural better athlete than me, but I think the 20-pound toddler and the, like, cart that she was pushing probably leveled the playing field. I was trying my best. Here was the problem. My training came through and showed. You see, I think there's many believers out there today who you are trying your absolute hardest. I don't question that. I don't. I think you're trying. But here's the thing. Is if we're running a race, and race is the analogy, and it's an accurate analogy, is trying all you need in a race, or is it training and trying both? You see, what does it look like as a believer to get trained up? If we're going to run this race and run it well, what does training look like? Because just trying isn't good enough. It's training that is needed. Part of how we get trained is we get trained by being disciplined and being instructed by God's Word and not just learning it as knowledge, but being living out what this actually says. That's some training right there. Training is a prayer life that's transforming. Training is this, is connecting to a small group community that transforms you because you open up God's Word together, you do life together, you equip one another, you pray for one another, so you'll be trained up to run the race well and you're not running it alone anymore. We're not called to run it alone. We're not called to run it without training because we do either one of those. We never run the race well. Some of us need to commit, and I've been there and it's transformed my life, to commit to being trained up to run and run the race well. Because really the fill in the blank is this, is it's training is greater than trying. Some of us, we're only doing the trying part and it's necessary, but the training is greater than the trying. We need the training in our life to equip us to run the race well. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, it transitions to a different book, but the same analogy. Possibly a different author, but the same analogy. Look at this. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize, run in such a way to get the prize? The analogy isn't going for a jog. The analogy isn't going to get some exercise. The analogy is a race. There's a prize in the race. Run in such a way to win the prize. And in case you missed it, we're not just running this race casually. We're running to get the prize. And the prize is this, that when we get to the end of our lives, we look so much more like Christ than we started. And because we look more and more like Christ, we had this life of mission, taking the Great Commission seriously, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all the nations is also here in Victoria. As we run this race, we have loved God so much, we look more and more like Christ. We love people so much, we've shared the gospel and done life with so many people, we're no longer running alone. There's a massive line of people behind us running the race with us, and we cross the line into eternity with as many people as we possibly could, leading them to love and know Christ more. That is the prize. That's a great prize. That prize is worth the training. That's worth the trying. That's worth the throwing off everything that hinders you. Look how it describes it also. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight with a bo- with a, like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others I myself will not be disqualified the prize the race is worth it 
and it's, race that it's worth the difficulty going into it. Nobody ever said the race, this race is easy. It's not easy. I'm not going to come in here and lie to you and be like, yeah, let's do this race. It's fun. It's a race. It's difficult, but it's worthwhile, and it's worth intentionality. You ever thought about this? When I was a kid, I would help out my dad with all these around-the-house projects. And do you remember when you were, you were a little kid and your dad would entrust you with the all-important job of holding the flashlight? Anybody remember this, right? It's like broad daylight outside. Here, hold the flashlight. Please don't break anything, you know? That was, that was your job. That was your task at hand. And it kind of matched, you know, what you were, you were capable of at the time. But as you got older, you were entrusted with a more and more important task. Here's the thing, the, the task that God has entrusted us with is the Great Commission to go and reach all nations. Our task, the church, our task of the church as individual believers is to reach a lost and dying world with the gospel, both with our lives and with our words that are reflection and exact representation of the gospel. That is our task, and it's worth it. Jump over to Colossians 3, 1 through 4. How else this looks like? A couple things before we close out. It says this, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Once again, it, it takes all this same running and racing analogy into all these different texts. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. What so often distracts us from running this race and running this race well is we get too distracted with the here and the now and the earthly things that we forget about what is eternal. You see, you're running the race not just to get this temporary prize, temporary crown, this temporary plaque or whatever it is, or in modern day terms, a little Instagram post that lets people know you're active. That's a prize for today's 5Ks, but it's not something that's temporary. It is an eternal the fill in the blank is this, we have to set our eyes and we have to realize that things above are greater than earthly things. Things above are greater than earthly things. It's not that earthly things are bad. They're not bad. Remember we were talking about in the beginning, some people live their lives for to get the most amount of stuff. <laughs> you know what defeats instantly that mindset of well, that's what life is worth? Garage sales. Go to a garage sale. You know what's at a garage sale? Things that five years ago, people walked out of the store and they're like, look at it. Oh, this is great. It's worth it now. Five years later, they're putting in their front lawn saying, don't judge me, please get rid of it. Okay, that's welcome to garage sales. Now, were those items bad? No, they were just temporary. They were earthly things. Some people live their lives, collect as much money as possible. Is money evil? No, money's not going to commit an evil. It's the root of all kinds of evil. It can lead to evils. They're not inherently bad things. They're bad things when we set them above eternal things. They're temporary. They're what's the here and the now. They're the earthly things. We set them above the eternal. We have it backwards. People's opinion of us, it's easy to run that race for that. Everybody ever discover that people's opinion of you is not permanent? It's not permanent to the end of the day or the end of the hour or the next minute? It changes like that. It's a moving target. They can never really be caught. We live for what is eternal. Every single last person in here is eternal. The question isn't if we have an eternity. The question is, where's the destination? 
with Christ is with God the Father forever. Apart from Christ, it's hell. Period. People are eternal. We live for those things, things above that are eternal, that will march into eternity. And we want as many people to go with us into eternity with God the Father as humanly possible, so we dedicate our lives to running that race. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says this, For we live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith, not by sight. That's difficult because many of us, we want to trust in what is right in front of us, what is right here in our hands. That's what's easier to trust in. God calls us to trust what is not seen. He calls us to trust in Him, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the gospel that transforms lives to be more like Him, to lead others to know Him. You can't go, here's where that is. <laughs> it's what's unseen. It's eternity. It's God transforming us to make Him more like Him. It's unseen, but that is what we are called to trust in. Is that easy? No, but it's necessary and it's worth it. The more I trust in what is unseen, the more I trust in the thing is above and value them above the things that are earthly, the more joy, purpose, and just love I find that I've discovered. It's better that way. It's not the easy way. It's the better way. Close out with this, 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. What I described isn't easy. When trials come, they can either break us or they make us more like Christ. But if we're running a race with intentionality, those trials, they end up making us more like Christ. Getting rid of all the sin in your life, or getting rid of the things that weigh you down, that's not easy. It's worthwhile. All the things I talked about today aren't easy. They're worthwhile. Because we're pursuing the one thing that is worthwhile. It's Jesus. Life one way or the other is not going to be easy. The question is, is our purpose, is it worth the while? I will challenge you, what is worthwhile is Christ. I think the secret to it is this. We close out verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I challenge you, believers, set your eyes on Christ. That's the goal. This isn't talking about an occupational change. This is a life purpose change. Set your eyes on Christ. Pursue Him with all of your passion in your life. Become more like Him and lead others to know Him. Because it's worth it. Now, we can't just wake up tomorrow and say, all right, I'm going to do all that. <laughs> what is your next step to do that? Is it throwing off the things that hinders you? Is it saying, man, this is a sin pattern in my life that's leaving me with concrete shoes running a marathon? Get rid of them. What's your next step to get rid of that? It's going to, to CR to help have that, that lifestyle begin to be removed from your life. Whatever, what is that Needing is it confessing that to a trusted believer, to a friend, to a small group leader. Say, hey, this is a thing in my life. I need to get rid of it so I can run this race well. Is your next step to be trained up? Is your next step to connect to community, to begin running with other believers, become more and more like Him? What's your next step? For some, it's just getting this mindset and having this purpose and saying, this is worth it. It's setting aside this purpose that's not worth it and saying, God, I repent of pursuing this as my life purpose. You're a better purpose. I pursue you. 
It's so worth it. I pursued some of those other life purposes. I regretted every single moment of when things changed. When I said, Christ, you're the purpose that's worth pursuing. It changed everything. I challenge you, what's your next step? For some in here today, maybe you walked in here, this is your first time in church, first time in a while, you're kind of kicking the tires of faith. I want you to understand one thing before we close out. We're not talking about earning God's love. We're responding to God's love. Your first step today is to believe in Him. Believe that He loved you, pursued you, died for you, so that you have eternal life with Him. Then we can turn and pursue. But your first step is to believe in Him. I encourage you to do that today. Let's pray. Dear Lord, God, I thank You for a great and a glorious and a wonderful purpose. God, we have a race to run, and I thank You for that race. I thank You that You've entrusted us with that. The great race that it is to live a life that that honors You, to love God and love people so much that we lead others to know You, to reach the nations, reaching a lost and dying world to know You more while looking more and more like You each day. That is an awesome purpose. I thank You for it. That's not a burden. That's a blessing. That's not an obligation. That's an opportunity that we thank You and rejoice that we get to do day by day. Help us more and more as we pursue that. God, for some, though, in here today, they haven't begun that race because they have not yet believed in You. They walked in here thinking they were unlovable. They came in here thinking that they could not be forgiven. But there's a God of the universe who loves us, that His love covers our sins, that His mercy takes away the eternal consequences of our sin. God, I pray that if there's anyone here today, they may believe in You. It's not about fixing their life up first or working enough to earn your love. It's belief. That word, believe in you. They can mark that belief in you, the simple prayer. Praying, dear Lord, I am broken. I am a sinner. But I believe that Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God, came here to die for my sin, that if I believe in Him, I have eternal life. I believe in Him today.